is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, 877-381-3811. Kay Gabriel. Now, who would that be? She's a faculty member at NYU. New York University. It's a big school, isn't it, Mr. Producer? It's always been filled with commies, by the way. May I say that? I think I will. Kay Gabriel, NYU faculty member, in a video podcast in May of 2021. You know, a section of American Marxism that I probably haven't talked enough about is this transgender movement. If people want to do things through their body, who am I to stop them? In fact, you look at some people, they ought to do things to their bodies. But you understand my point. But what is a movement? A transgender movement. When I started to dig into this a little bit, I found out not all, but a significant part of it, not all, but a significant part of it, is once again drawn back to this Marxist ideology. Now, Kay Gabriel, you won't hear this anywhere else. Mr. Producer dug it up. Kay Gabriel, as I said, is a faculty member, no doubt, tenured. And I want you to understand what's going on in our universities and colleges and now going on in our public school system, kindergarten through 12, what's going on in our corporate world, what's going on now in the military and elsewhere. I want you to listen to this. Cut one, go. Trans liberation calls for communist revolution. Starting with the big one. Um, okay, I'm going to leap on this first, but then I promise I will um, take a, a backseat. You no, know, the dominant, um, uh, like, say, liberal bourgeois reframing of trans liberation as trans rights and recognitions, kind of say, based in uh, the uh, supposedly successful pattern of, like, say, gay liberation transformed into rights and recognitions realized at the, at the level of the state in some places, not everywhere. Um, we 
make the claim that not only is this insufficient, but that pouring our energy into this thing is actually not going to get us what we want or what we need. Um, this kind of economic transformation that would be a kind of communist horizon, right? A world in which everyone has what they need. Um, so why does this, why does this immediately matter to trans people? Well, what do, trans people in our particularity have to 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 say or to offer that expands the universalism of a communist of a, of a communist society right um which is to say uh, w- one that would be achieved uh in time through processes and events that we could call revolutionary that we would have to call revolutionary because they would uh, it, it require the abolition of society as it currently is that when we demand like society be rearranged in certain ways this is a part of the project hmm. now a lot of this is uh verbosity a lot of it's pedantic but when you cut through the static you get to the core issues here. There's a professor, among others, in this video podcast, May 2021, Hat Tip Myth Informed, uh, promoting communism. It requires, quote, the abolition of society as it currently is, unquote. Quote, that when we demand that society be arranged in certain ways, this is part of the project, quote, unquote. Now, I don't know why people doubt me. I don't know why people say, oh, it's a red scare. There's, it's not about a red scare. It's about informing ourselves about what's going on. Used to be under the radar. Now it's closets wide open. And this is something we must attend to, deal with. This is something we have to challenge and confront. And so, this is May 2021 in a video podcast... This is a professor. And she's not alone. She's not alone in the least. She's promoting Marxism through genderism, transgenderism. It's like promoting Marxism through racism, promoting Marxism through socialism, the war on private property rights and capitalism. These are sub-American Marxist movements. And they pull together and they overlap. Some people belong to the various aspects of one or another. Some don't, but nonetheless, this is a force to deal with. Why? Because they've conquered much of the culture. That's why. They run the colleges and universities. They run the teachers' unions. They run the Democrat Party and they run the media. That's a lot. And they run Hollywood and entertainment. That's why they want to get rid of Fox or OAN or Newsmax. That's why they want to get rid of talk radio. You're in the way, don't you understand? They want to fundamentally abolish the society as it currently is, quote unquote. Uh, And they want to expand the universalism of a communist society. Through time, of course. Achieve it through time. Now, we need to wake up to this fact. We need to wake up to this fact. That these movements do, in fact, exist. They're not a figment of my imagination. I also think this is why American Marxism 
is the biggest book of 2021, and it is ignored by virtually every single major book promotion association and book award system. It's even ignored by some of our conservative friends on TV and radio because they have these these weird pangs of jealousy or something. I don't know what their problem is. It doesn't matter. And this was all done without social media. This was all done without an elaborate book tour. This was all done because you're worried about your country and you want to know the truth and you want to understand who these people are and what the hell's going on. And that's what I did in this book. But I want to play this one more time. I didn't mean to hit you right up front with it. Well, actually, I did, but it may have gone too fast. Kay Gabriel, your NYU faculty member, in a video podcast, May 2021. And these faculties, they're incestuous. They hire people who share their ideology, many of them from the same exact academic background or school. And so it just keeps going on and on and on. Cut one, go. Trans liberation calls for communist revolution. <laughs> Starting with the big one. Um, okay, I'm going to leap on this first, but then I promise I will um, take a, a backseat. You know, the dominant, um, uh, like, say, liberal bourgeois reframing of trans liberation as trans rights and recognitions, kind of say, based in uh, the... Uh, supposedly successful pattern of, like, say, gay liberation transformed into rights and recognitions realized at the, at the level of the state in some places, not everywhere. Um, we make the claim that not only is this insufficient, but that pouring our energy into this thing is actually not going to get us what we want or what we need. Um, this kind of economic transformation that would be a kind of communist horizon, right? A world in which everyone has what they need. Um, so why does this, why does this immediately well, 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 well. matter? Where, do, where, where does everyone have what they need in some communist revolution? I mean, it doesn't even matter, but go ahead. Well, what do trans people in our particularity have to 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 say or to offer that expands the universalism of a communist of a, of a communist society right um which is to say uh one that would be achieved uh in time through processes and events that we could call revolutionary that we would have to call revolutionary because they would uh, it, it require the abolition of society as it currently is that when we demand like society be rearranged in certain ways this is a part of the project notice the uh no no notice the uh effort it's sounding more intelligent than she or he actually is the affectations yeah, here's the process. Uh, you know, we have to move around. The communist society. Yes, these are the people who want to rule your life. These are the people who want to destroy the norms of a society. It's very important we talk about these things, so we all know what's taking place. This is what they mean by a white dominant society. What they mean by a white dominant society, quite frankly, is by a society that has certain norms about men and women, about genitalia, about freedom and individualism. And you have these uh, disparate movements, these individuals who reject the norms of a society. And so they have to character assassinate people who associate with the norms of this society or built the norms of this society. 
And that's why they are obsessed with racism, uh, excuse me, with slavery 150 years ago, but so many excuse slavery in China because they're making big bucks. And that's occurring today. Today. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, in the book, I cite an article, all places, the Washington Compost, a couple decades back, and they interview a number of professors from various, particularly Ivory League schools, and they openly say, look, yes, we teach Marxism, but we don't do it the old way. Some push Marxism as an economic model. Some use it as a climate model. Some use it as a gender model, and they go on and on and on. So what's happened in the United States, the reason the book's called American Marxism and not Marxism, is because in America, what's happened is these phony elites. There was a book written by a gentleman by the name of Aron once, brilliant man, called The Opium of the Intellectuals, The Opium of the Elites. And he points out that these people really are disconnected from reality, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they, they, are, they are in charge of what is taught and what passes for good judgment and so forth and so on while everybody else is working with their hands and their minds trying to make a living. And that is precisely what's going on in this country today. Precisely what's going on. So I thought it was important to point this out. Now I want to read you something, a letter to Kevin McCarthy from a number of uh, very important conservatives and conservatives in some cases that run conservative organizations. And the letter is signed by, among others, former Attorney General Ed Meese and a variety of others, Ken Cuccinelli, former Attorney General of Virginia, Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, Brent Bozell, the Media Research Center, and I could go on and on and on. These are very, very important people. Been around a little while, you know. And here's the letter that they sent to Kevin McCarthy. The undersigned conservatives asked that the House Republican Conference act immediately to remove, to remove both Representative Liv Cheney and Representative Adam Kingsinger from the Republican Conference due to their egregious actions 
as part of the House of Representatives January 6th Select Committee. As you are aware, this committee has no formal representation from Republicans. Both Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger serve at the request of the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. As part of Pelosi's team, Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger have deliberately sought to undermine the privacy and due process of their fellow Republicans. And those are private citizens with improperly issued subpoenas and other investigatory tactics designed not to pursue any valid legislative end, but merely to exploit for the sake of political harassment and demagoguery. The actions of Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger on behalf of House Democrats have given supposedly bipartisan justification to an overtly partisan political persecution that brings disrespect to our country's rule of law, legal harassment, to private citizens who've done nothing wrong, and which demeans the standing of the House. As duly elected representatives, Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger are free to serve in the House, but they should no longer do so with the privileges granted to members of the House Republican Conference. They should no longer be given access to the benefits of a conference they actively seek to undermine. We ask that the Republican conference meet immediately to vote on stripping Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger from their membership in the Republican conference. We further inform you that conservative leaders are launching a nationwide movement to add citizens' voices to this effort. Fantastic. Among others, Ed Meese, Jim DeMint, Jenny Beth Martin, David McIntosh of Club for Growth, Brent Bozell, our friend. Many, many others. Ginny Thomas, President of Liberty Consulting. Gary Bauer. I can't read them all, but these are very serious people, many of whom have been in the conservative movement for half a century. Some served in the Reagan administration and so forth and so on. Kenneth Blackwell. Matt Schlapp. Ken Cuccinelli. Tony Perkins. Al Regnery. Lita Mitchell, Ken Cribb, Brooke Rollins. I can go on and on and on. Seton Motley, Craig Shirley. All right, that's it for now, but you understand now the pressure is on. And it needs to be on. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. I want to thank Mike Pence for that. I should tell you I will be on Hannity tonight. I'm not sure exactly the time, but typically it's around 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And I won't be on for a few more weeks as I take off on Friday. So if you want to catch me on Hannity, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can catch me there. Uh, We're also going to have a wonderful Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, a brand new show at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And our focus is going to be, I'm not going to tell you because of the backbenchers. Let's just leave it at that. I'll tell you tomorrow. Uh, But I think you're going to be compelled, I think, to to watch it or to DVR it, as you mostly do, and I appreciate that. So uh, you might want to check that out this Sunday. Speaking of January 6th, I want to underscore something. Uh, 
Yesterday, you heard me play a clip of Liz Cheney. And among other things that were really pretty outrageous was her statement that Donald Trump could be criminally at fault for dereliction of duty. Remember that, Mr. Producer? For failing to act. And then, of course, she had somebody named Ala Pundit over at uh, Hot Air, well-named, agreeing with her. Wow, they're circling the wagons. Didn't occur to him, of course, that they have no criminal investigatory powers, certainly no constitutional authority for such a thing. They don't even honor the Bill of Rights, due process, all the rest of the things that take place in a criminal investigation. So they're undermining the Constitution while pretending to defend it. But this is the nature of fanatism and fanaticism. But that did catch my attention for another reason. As again I pointed out last night, so the backbenchers will regurgitate it at some point, but let me underscore it. If the deliberate failure, the deliberate failure to act is a crime, then Nancy Pelosi needs to be under criminal investigation. What did Nancy Pelosi do deliberately when she was offered to have the National Guard protect the Capitol building? She turned them down. What exactly did Nancy Pelosi do in preparation for January 6th? Did she do nothing? Deliberately? Well, she wouldn't have done done nothing accidentally. And herein lies one of the issues, not all, but one of them. When you have a 9-0 committee appointed by Nancy Pelosi, the purpose of which is to do her political dirty work and to damage as many people as she possibly can, Trump and the people around Trump, and more. There is no way that this... You hear the helicopter, Mr. Producer? Do you or don't you? Hold on, let me hold up the... Everybody listen. Hear it? I think they're coming to get me. No, I... We have a Virginia home that's on the Potomac River and frequently military helicopters, but also helicopters for dummy when they're going to Camp David. They like to follow the Potomac River to a point, including past my house. So I don't know if that's dummy or not. I don't know what's going on there. But when when we've had helicopters that to me look like Hueys, oh my God, the whole house shakes. (laughs) Feels like people who live near trains, by the way. That's what it feels like. Anyway, if uh, the failure to, or deliberately to fail to do your job, dereliction to do your job, as Liz Cheney pointed out, then Nancy Pelosi should be in the crosshairs of a criminal investigation. It's not Donald Trump's responsibility to defend the Capitol building. He's not in charge of the Capitol Police. She is. He's not in charge of the Metropolitan Police. The Democrat dummy who runs the city, Boucher, she's in charge of them. He offered the National Guard. That's all he can do. But Kingsinger and Cheney are not concerned about that. No. No. Then there's Adam Schiff on this committee, who they're also not concerned about. Adam Schiff 
if you were under oath, if you were under investigation, would be doing a hard time at Leavenworth, breaking rocks with his precious hands. As they point out at the Federalist, oops, he did it again. After leaking fake Donald Trump Jr. emails, fabricating the transcript of a 2019 phone call between former President Trump and Ukraine's president, and lying about his interactions with the so-called whistleblower behind House Democrats' first impeachment of Trump, Representative Adam Schiff is now running the same con against a fellow lawmaker. During a hearing Monday night on the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, Adam Schiff claimed to have proof that a member of Congress texted former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to instruct former Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Not only did Schiff misrepresent the substance of the text message and its source, he even doctored original text messages which were obtained and reviewed by the Federalist in their entirety. Now let me stop there. I'm talking to the Republicans on Capitol Hill. The leadership, but all of them. Adam Schiff is an attorney. Whether he's a member of Congress or he's litigating in court or he's in-house counsel or what have you, there are certain rules of professional responsibility that an attorney, even one from California, must comply with. If you are intentionally altering the text of messages to misrepresent the facts in a matter that leads to you voting to hold a citizen in criminal contempt, you should lose your license. You should lose your license to practice law. Now, just so you folks know, Any citizen is free to bring this to the attention of the Ethics Committee of the Supreme Court of California. Any citizen. But I would encourage the Republican members of the House of Representatives, I hope some of you are listening to me. You don't even need a smart staff lawyer to do this, to draw up an ethics complaint to be filed with the relevant Ethics Committee of the Supreme Court of California and make it clear that Adam Schiff Adam Schiff took evidence supposed evidence and manipulated it and changed it for the purpose of a congressional hearing seeking and pursuing a criminal Complaint, criminal contempt against the former chief of staff to the former president of the United States. Let me repeat what's pointed out here in the Federalist. During a hearing Monday night on the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, Adam Schiff claimed to have proof that a member of Congress, and I believe the member that he was accusing was Jim Jordan, texted former White House chief of staff Mark Meadows to instruct former Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Not only did Schiff misrepresent the substance of the text message and its source, he even doctored original text messages, which were obtained and reviewed by the Federalists in their entirety, so he should lose his law license. 
Quote, I want to display just a few of the messages he received from people in Congress, Schiff said, referring to Mark Meadows. The committee is not naming these lawmakers as this time, at this time as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic, he says, the following graphic purportedly the text message between a member of Congress and Meadows then appeared on the screen at Schiff's direction. Ready? Quote. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. Schiff continued. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about, about a lawmaker suggesting that the former vice president simply throw out votes that he unilaterally deems unconstitutional in order to overturn a presidential election and subvert the will of the people. This is the man who, of course, led the Russia collusion effort to overthrow the 2016 election. Not only did Adam Schiff lie about the substance of the text message and its source, he even doctored the message and graphic that he displayed on the screen during his statement. The full text message, which was forwarded to Meadows from Representative Jim Jordan on the evening of Monday, January 5, was significantly longer than what Schiff read and put on screen. But Schiff erased significant portions of the text and added punctuation where there was none to give the impression that Jim Jordan himself was tersely directing Meadows to give orders to Pence on how to handle the electoral vote certification. The original text was written by Washington attorney and former Department of Defense Inspector General Joseph Schmitz and included an attachment of a four-page draft Word document drafted by Schmitz that detailed his legal reasoning for suggesting that Pence had the constitutional authority to object to the certification of electoral votes submitted by a handful of states, meaning they were in conflict, they were in controversy. The piece that Schmitz had sent to Jordan was published at the website everylegal.vote the next day and even included the same discussion draft, quote-unquote, headline and timestamp on the document that Schmitz sent to Jordan. So it was the evening of January 5th, not January 6th, as well. Good luck tomorrow, Schmitz texted Jordan on the evening of January 5th, including the Word document as an attachment. Schmitz then texted to Jordan a three-paragraph summary of his Word document, which Schiff sliced and diced and then attributed to Congressman Jordan. Quote, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional. There's no electoral votes at all in accordance with guidance from founding father Alexander Hamilton and judicial precedents, Schmidt texted. In his graphic, Schiff erased the final clause and the M-dash preceding it and added a period to the first clause without disclosing that here his staff had chopped up the text and created a fake graphic misrepresenting the actual contents of the text message. Schmidt continued, no legislative act, wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 78, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth, that an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all, is a proposition no longer open to discussion. Following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally enacted statute, is no elector at all, Schmitz wrote. And by the way, this is a serious point. A serious point. 
It's not about ballots. It's not about machines. It is a serious constitutional point. That if electors are chosen in a way that violates the federal constitution, that is, a system set up by a governor, a lieutenant governor, by a secretary of state, a board of elections, or even a state court, that violates the federal constitution. Now, the court knew that in Bush versus Gore. The Supreme Court knew that in 2000. The Bushies, the Cheneys, knew that in 2000. In his statement, an on-screen graphic, Schiff erased the final two paragraphs and the final clause of the first paragraph of the text before inserting punctuation that was never there, all without disclosing what he was doing. He doctored it, and he distorted it. He doctored it, and he distorted it. Multiple sources who regularly communicate with Jordan scoffed at the idea that Jordan, who's known for writing only brief, one- or two-word texts, if at all, would sit down and type out a multi-paragraph narrative with precise legal citations akin to a lengthy court brief. Schiff and his team have a long history of doctoring and fabricating evidence to show their political enemies in the worst possible light. While Trump Jr. was testifying during a 2017 hearing on Russia collusion, the committee leaked CNN and NBC emails purportedly from Trump Jr. that showed he had communicated with someone about hacked WikiLeaks documents prior to the public release. A lie. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. Two things need to happen. An ethics complaint filed with the the ethics committee of the Supreme Court of California against Adam Schiff. I'm hoping the Republicans in the House will do this. Uh, you're not free to doctor evidence, not even in a congressional form that seeks to hold somebody in criminal contempt and send them to prison. That's number one. Number two, I'm also hopeful that the Republicans in the House will file an ethics complaint against um, Adam Schiff, as well as the full committee. Because you can't tell me the full committee didn't know this, and an investigation is warranted immediately. Immediately. So I encourage those two complaints to be filed immediately. Don't forget, I'll be on Hannity, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight, for the last time in several weeks. Don't forget to grab your copies of American Marxism. They're $14, 50% off, over at Amazon. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, the Federalists uh, made an inquiry of this January 6th committee and said, hey, look, uh, what was done here by Schiff and this committee 
is not accurate. And so we now have an update to this story, ladies and gentlemen. In a statement provided to the Federalists via email, a Democrat spokesperson for the January 6th committee confessed that the committee doctored the text message. The committee. And the right to say, broadly, the committee. Quote, the select committee on Monday created and provided Representative Schiff a graphic to use during the business meeting quoting from a text message from a lawmaker to Mr. Meadows. The spokesperson wrote, the graphic read on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all, unquote. Now, by the way, if he thought votes were unconstitutional, he should do that. I mean, to do otherwise makes no sense. Anyway, let me go on. Quote, in the graphic, the period at the end of that sentence was added inadvertently, the spokesman added. The select committee is responsible for and regrets the error. The select committee. And the Federalist says the January 6th committee spokesman did not explain how one could, quote, inadvertently, unquote, cut a sentence in half and eliminate the final two paragraphs of a detailed legal summary, nor did he explain why Schiff attributed the content of the text to Jim Jordan, a lawmaker, quote, unquote, rather than to Mr. Schmidt, the attorney who wrote it. And so an ethics complaint needs to be filed against Adam Schiff in particular. Any staffers who worked on this, as well as the committee generally, because they just confessed. An ethics complaint needs to be filed against Adam Schiff with the Ethics Committee associated with the Supreme Court of California as quickly as possible. We now have a committee, and Schiff in particular, who are doctoring evidence. Just as we have a committee that will not pursue the dereliction of duty, I believe that was the language that was used by Liz Cheney, the dereliction of duty by Nancy Pelosi. Right? So there we have that. And here's what Adam Schiff actually said at the hearing Monday night. Hat tip the Federalist, cut 16, go. I want to display just a few of the message he received from people in Congress. The committee is not naming these lawmakers at this time as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about. About a lawmaker suggesting that the former vice president simply throw out votes that he unilaterally deems unconstitutional in order to overturn a presidential election and subvert the will of the American people. Mm-hmm. There you go. He lied. He always lies. That's the nature of the beast there, isn't it? Then we have John Carl, who's hawking a book. I think it's called Betrayal or something. I think he sold about 14 copies. Something like that. Um, in any event, um, well, that's interesting. 
he uh Listen to what he has to say. This is a so-called reporter. Listen to this. Cut 17. Well, what these messages overall tell us, John, is that Mark Meadows was in the middle of it all. The entire effort to use all means necessary to overturn the results of the presidential election. You see how the Democrat Party and the Democrat media work hand in glove? You see how they work together? So John Carl takes a doctored graphic on doctored text messages then uses that to say, you see how Mark Meadows was in the middle of it all? Now, why are you a reporter, clown? Why are you a reporter, John Carl? You're a disgrace. Mark Meadows was in the middle of it all? Was in the middle of all of what? was in the middle of all of what? He's chief of staff to the president of the United States. People are contacting him based on what happened on January 6th. Was the middle of all of what? What is this committee doing exactly? What is it doing? John Carl, another hanger-on in the, in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, who relies on his social connections, relies on government relies on all the gossip and everything to put food on his table he's in the middle of what go ahead of course uh, the activity on january 6th meadows was one of the very few people that was with trump during the entire time of the insurrection it he wasn't was an insurrection you clown i'll say this to my dying day i will not accept the way these people propagandize the way they misuse words there was no insurrection you jackass go ahead house there in that little dining room off the oval office with trump shuttling back and forth shuttling and back and forth with trump in the little room just incredible this is a reporter must have gone to the barrick ravid that is his name, School of Journalism. He must have gone to the Bob Woodward School of Journalism. I did interview Casey. No, you didn't. He was in a coma. Yes, I did. His wife wasn't around. The doctors weren't around. The nurses weren't around. I snuck into the hospital. I sat by his bed, and he spilled his guts to me. Yeah, I'm sure he would have. Casey wouldn't have ever talked to Bob Woodward. Well, the voices talking to me sounded like Casey. So what are we going to do about this now, ladies and gentlemen? The doctoring of text messages? This is why people do not want to testify in front of this group. They do not have any basic constitutional protections. While they're trying to create the, uh, the, the situation of, uh, of a criminal environment. That's what's going on. Lied to Congress in a deposition. Oh, yes, yeah, the text message. And here you have John Carl. John Carl knows absolutely nothing. Nothing. He's not privy to anything. But he knows that Mark Meadows was in the middle of it all, shuffling back and forth from the little room off the dining room. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who told him that? Where did he get that from? Nowhere. All right. I have some good news for you. State of Ohio. You've got an outstanding candidate who wishes to serve you in the United States Senate. He doesn't receive the kind of attention that he deserves. There's another candidate they're pushing who opposed Trump 
voted against Trump, voted against Trump twice. So I'm not talking about the primaries. I'm talking about the general election. How could you vote against Trump even the second time? But he wants Trump's support because he's seen the light. But I'm backing a candidate who not only served his country, but voted for Trump twice and has all the credentials of a conservative, of a constitutionalist. And his name is Josh Mandel. And he's running for the Senate in Ohio. And he's run before. But he's got a good shot at it this time. When we come back, let's listen to what he has to say. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Well, it's been a long time, and it's a pleasure to have Josh Mandel on the program. He's running for the Republican nomination of the U.S. Senate in Ohio. Josh, how are you, sir? Josh, how are you, sir? Doing great, Mark. How are you? It's a pleasure. Uh, very well, thank you. For people who don't know, give us a little bit of your background, if you would. Sure. I'm a Marine Corps vet. Did a couple tours in Anbar Province, Iraq. I was inspired into the Marine Corps by my grandparents. Uh, one of my grandparents, my grandfather Joe, was a holocaust who was liberated by Allied troops. My grandmother, Fernanda, she was an Italian Jew who was saved and hidden by courageous Christians during uh, World War II. And my grandfather, Harold, he uh, wore the uniform of our great country, serving in the United States Army Air Corps. And so growing up, Mark, in the Cleveland area, my grandparents hammered into me uh, a duty to this country, you know, but for America liberating Europe, I wouldn't be here right now. And I had an obligation to pay it back and pay it forward. So that's why I joined the Marine Corps. And it's why I've been such a fierce lover of and defender of the United States Constitution. Uh, as you know, I'm a constitutional conservative. And I think one of the problems in this country right now is not only Biden and the leftists, but it's also these squishy rhino Republicans who are afraid of the Democrats, who cower to the media, and who refuse to stand up for the Constitution. And so in my time in public service in Ohio as a state legislator and state treasurer, I led the charge taking on Rhino Kasich, who ended up being Democrat Kasich. And as the next United States Senator from Ohio, just as soon as I'll take on Biden and Schumer and Pelosi, I'll also take on these squishy rhino Republicans as well. I want to ask you, uh, J.D. Vance has been promoted a lot uh, on Fox and some other places, quite frankly. It's my understanding that he voted against Trump twice for president of the United States. I'm not even talking about in the primary where you're duking it out, maybe you support somebody else, but that would mean... Uh, that you either voted for uh, Hillary Clinton or uh, Joe Biden or something that effect. If I'm wrong, I want to very desperately be corrected. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Uh, everything I know and everything I've heard him say out of his own mouth is that even when President Trump was running against Hillary Clinton, J.D. Vance refused to vote for President Trump. And you know, for all your listeners listening to this, Think about that for a second. This is a guy running for U.S. Senate in Ohio as a Republican who refused to vote for President Trump 
when Trump was up against Hillary Clinton. And we cannot afford to have people like that in the U.S. Senate or, frankly, anywhere in the Republican Party or the conservative movement. Uh, listen, Mark, if, if the election were held today in California, New York, or Washington, D.C., J.D. Vance would run away with it. But if the election were held today here in Ohio, he'd get smoked and probably come in fourth or fifth place. And uh, the reality on the ground here in Ohio is that people are not buying what J.D. Vance is selling. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing so far? We're uh, number one in the polls, uh, whether it's my internal polls and my campaign, or it's polls from my opponents, or it's public polls. You know, every single poll in this race has had me in first place. It's not because we have more money, other guys. I mean, I've got some really wealthy people running against me. One guy put in $4 million the other day. Another, I think, has put in $9 million. Another put in $5 million. One of the guys running against me, his dad owns the Cleveland Indians. His, his uncle owns the New York Knicks. And so these are super wealthy people, and they might have the money on their side, Mark, uh, but I've got the people on my side. And that's the reason we're, we're winning this race. You know, I uh, have been running this campaign not through traditional Republican Party groups, but instead I've been running it through churches. The reason I'm running the campaign through churches is because I believe the Judeo-Christian bedrock of America is under attack. I believe men and women of faith in our country are under attack. And I believe the only place we're going to save this country is at kitchen tables and is is in houses of worship. And so the first church town hall we did was in a small town called Bucyrus, Ohio, church in the middle of a soybean field. We were hoping to have 75 people that night, Mark. We had over 250 people show up to Victory and Truth Ministries. We then went to Finley, Ohio, had 270 people show up at First Nazarene. 300 people showed up for us at Washington Heights Baptist Church in Dayton. 500 people showed up for us at Solid Rock Church in Lebanon, Ohio, between Dayton and Cincinnati. And then in the middle of a cornfield in West Milton, Ohio, Miami County, out by the Indiana border, we had over 600 people show up at a church called Community Grace Brethren Church. And the the mission of that town hall that night in that church, Mark, was Mm -hmm. to talk about the Democrat cheating in elections. We brought in Wendy Rogers. We brought in Jenna Ellis. And we had 600 faithful, constitutional conservatives, patriots, pro-God, pro-gun, pro-Trump supporters of mine. And we had a great evening talking about the importance of election integrity and restoring integrity to our election system. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, president won Ohio by a significant number, didn't he? he president did, Trump he won Ohio by a half million votes both times. He didn't just win. I mean, he crushed crushed Hillary Clinton here. He crushed Joe Biden here. And I can say to you with great clarity and confidence that Ohio is Trump country. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how he wins Ohio going away, and then he loses Pennsylvania, which has many, particularly western and central Pennsylvania, many areas that are quite similar to Ohio, is it not? Very similar, Mark, to astute observation. So a lot of people don't realize this, but if you took Ohio, Pennsylvania, especially the parts of Pennsylvania you're describing, and West Virginia, and you combined our three states into a region, 
that region will be the third largest producer of natural gas mm. in the entire world. And so in those parts of Pennsylvania you're talking about, and then in Ohio and Youngstown and Marietta and Steubenville and eastern Ohio and then West Virginia, you have all these patriots, Americans who used to be Democrats, but now they're Trump Republicans, to your point. And they, they've the left's war on fossil fuels. First, they got rid of the coal jobs. Obama said he would do it, and he did it. And now they're coming after these natural gas jobs. And all these people are standing up and saying, wait a second. I don't want to be a member of this Democrat Party that's trying to crush my job, that's trying to destroy my family. And so you have all these men and women who used to be Democrats, but they're not liberals. They go hunting on Saturday, church on Sunday, believe in peace through strength, think the cops are the good guys, stand for the American flag, love the military, and they're now Republicans because of President Trump. And I find it not believable, to your point, that Trump did not win those parts of Pennsylvania and did not win Pennsylvania outright. It just it doesn't make sense to me. There had to be cheating in the state of Pennsylvania and so many other states as well. This is uh, Josh Mandel, my guest. He's running for the Republican nomination for the Ohio Senate. Josh, uh, I'd like to hold you over at the bottom of the hour. A few more questions, if that works for you. That works for you. Sounds good. What is the site that people can go to to help you or to contribute? JoshMandel.com, J-O-S-H-M-A-N-D-E-L.com. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Mark Luffin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. We're talking to Josh Mandel. He is the constitutional conservative in a uh, crowded Republican field running for the nomination uh, f- uh, for the uh, to run for the Senate in Ohio. Uh, I've endorsed Josh. I've known Josh many, many years. He was the treasurer in Ohio. And he didn't come to his views lately. He didn't come to his views after deciding to run for the Senate. He was born with these views, as he discussed earlier about his family, the patriots in its family, what his views are. And I, I assume, Josh Mandel, unlike uh, at least one of your opponents, you couldn't have imagined voting for Hillary Clinton in 2016 let alone Joe Biden in 2020. Is that correct? It would have never, ever crossed my mind. And the fact that my opponent, J.D. Vance, did that and refused to vote for President Trump, it's, it's just unforgivable. And, you know, if he wants to run for the U.S. Senate, it's a free country, but he should probably, probably be running on the Democrat ticket. And you, uh, you embrace much, if not all, of what President Trump did. I mean, he had a fabulous presidency. I mean, he did many, many conservative things, much more than uh, so many of the never-Trumpers who've attacked him and so forth. I mean, many conservative things, wouldn't you argue? Absolutely. So, you know, when most of the Republicans in Ohio were with John Kasich to the bitter end, I was the first statewide official in Ohio to endorse President Trump. I, uh, Proudly and have unwavered, unwaveringly stood at his side. Um, you know, I've been in the foxhole fighting for him, and I will continue to do that. 
after I get elected to the U.S. Senate in 2022, and then I'm going to help him be reelected in in 2024. I believe in President Trump as a leader for our country, and I also believe in the Trump America First agenda because it did amazing things for the people of my state. You know, the other uh, the other day I was uh, down in a town called Cambridge, Ohio, and I was just talking to some folks there. One guy who works at a gas station, another who's a truck driver, a lady at a at a restaurant as a waitress. They were telling me for the first time in seventy years, seven zero, they have population growth in Cambridge, Ohio. This is rural Guernsey County, about halfway between Columbus and then the Pennsylvania West Virginia border. And they attribute that population growth and that economic growth to President Trump and his policy and his policies, his policies on energy and getting the federal government off the backs of folks who work in the oil and gas fields there and the coal mines there. And they also uh, attribute their growth, both in population and pocketbook, to his being the first president in my lifetime, Democrat or Republican, who had the guts and the backbone and the cojones to take on China. The Communist Party of China has been eating our lunch, has been running ramshot over both Democrat and Republican presidents in America for many decades and generations. And thank God we had a president, President Trump, who uh, had the guts to stand up to Xi and stand up to the economic cheaters coming out of Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, the border? Tell us about the border. Sure. I'm a zero-tolerance guy when it comes to lawbreakers and felons coming across the border. As, uh, as long as we have tens of thousands of military veterans in this country living under bridges, we should not be spending one penny on illegals. And let's take a step back and remember for a moment, these illegals who are coming across the border the first act they are committing is a felony, is a crime in this country. That should not be rewarded. That should be punished. And the fact that Biden is putting illegals over U.S. military veterans is just abominable. And, you know, the, the mainstream, lamestream media, the leftist media, which I believe, Mark, is just a department of the Democrat Party, you know, they think... America first was a campaign slogan. It wasn't. America first was a policy agenda. That Trump doctrine, he meant what he said, that he was going to put Americans ahead of foreigners. And it's not that he or I or you hate foreigners. We just love America and love Americans and want to take care of our people first. And that's what securing the border is all about. It's all about taking care of our people first, the safety and security of our people, but also the jobs of our people as well. Which, uh, and, and obviously you don't have to have an endless list, which members of the Senate would you say are more in line with your thinking or you have uh, respect for in terms of uh, their approach to governance? Ted Cruz, constitutionalist. Mike Lee, constitutionalist. Cynthia Lummis, constitutionalist. You know, I, uh, I believe in their ability to understand the Constitution, to appreciate the Constitution, and to take on their courage to take on both Democrats 
and the Republicans very often, who are trying to trample on our constitutional rights. And make no mistake about it, I think we need to eliminate from the Republican Party these squishy rhinos like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. Get rid of them. I'm going to Washington. Not for them. I want to get rid of them. I'm going to Washington to be reinforcements to fighters, constitutionalist, pro-freedom fighters like Ted Cruz, Jim Jordan, and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I want to uh, thank you, Josh, for your uh, decision to run. It's not easy to run for public office. I want to thank you and your family for your past service. And I want to reinforce the view that I think you'd be a fantastic senator, joining with the other constitutionalists. And folks, you can go to joshmandel.com, J-O-S-H, M-A-N-D-E-L, just like it sounds, joshmandel.com. Uh, he is a tried-and-true constitutional conservative. He didn't come to this lightly. This has always been his view, the view of his family. And I want to encourage you to get involved. There is a billionaire. I think it's Peter Thiel that's going around trying to influence who's selected in these Republican primaries. I think it's in your primary, too. Isn't it right, Josh? It is. Yeah. And he's giving an awful lot of money to some of these candidates. So uh, I've about had enough of billionaires trying to buy candidates and buy uh, nominees and all the rest of it. We see where Soros has gotten us. Not the Peter Thiel Soros. He's definitely not. But let the people decide. Uh, I've had enough of uh, Zuckerberg spreading his money around to elect Biden and do the things that he did. Uh, so uh, you're running, as I understand it, a straight-up campaign, and you need donations from regular Americans. JoshMandel.com, J-O-S-H-M-A-N-D-E-L.com. And good luck to you, my friend. When is the primary? Uh, the voting starts in about 109 days, so uh, it's a oh. sprint. The uh, actual election day is the first Tuesday in May, but here in Ohio, unfortunately, we have a month of voting. And so uh, that's another story for another day, Mark. We can talk about all the corruption in the vote by mail and month of voting, but yeah, voting starts in 109 days, so it's it's coming up soon. And any of your listeners who want to elect more Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Cynthia Lummis, Donald Trump, Jim Jordan-like leaders in the U.S. Senate, I'd surely appreciate your support. As Mark mentioned, the website is joshmandel.com. I'm a United States Marine veteran. I'm a Brit. I am pro-God, pro-gun, pro-Trump. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Mark. What is Ilian Omar? What is she up to? We know she hates America. We know she hates Jews. We know she's an American Marxist. Newly minted. What is she up to? This from National Review. House passes Ilhan Omar's anti-Islamophobia bill by Zachary Evans. The House passed legislation to combat Islamophobia submitted by Representative Ilhan Omar with Democrats disagreeing over how to counter anti-Muslim remarks by Representative Lauren Boebert. Now, this is fascinating to me. So we have the number one, or maybe she's tied with a handful of others, racist, bigot, anti-Semite in the House of Representatives, who's leading the way for an anti-Islamophobia bill. Anybody see the irony in this? 
that the House of Representatives under Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats would not pass a resolution specifically condemning Ilhan Omar's not one, not a mistake, multiple anti-Semitic comments. Now she's leading this, this march. The vote was 219 to 212 with no Republicans voting in favor. Omar's legislation would create a State Department post to combat Islamophobia, similar to the Special Envoy for the Anti-Semitism. The bill would also order the State Department to include data on incidents of Islamophobia across the world. In its reports on human rights, Omar has herself been accused of anti-Semitism. Yes, she has. Prior to the passage, Representative James McGovern, apparently a white supremacist from Massachusetts, I mean he's white, said the House would debate the bill because a member told a completely fabricated story again and again that implies a Muslim colleague is a terrorist just because they are Muslim. Representative Michael McCall countered that while he concurred with the spirit and intent of the bill, it's so vague and subjective that it would be used against legitimate speech for partisan purposes. Representative Dan Crenshaw said the bill was irrelevant to America at this time. Now, what does he mean? Ladies and gentlemen, there's no widespread discrimination against Muslims. Many of the people who are here who are Muslim, uh, not all, of course, but many, have come here relatively recently, maybe in the last 20, 30 years, not all, but many, to escape genocide and civil war in their homelands. To escape it in their homelands. Muslims slaughtering Muslims. Not Christian slaughtering Muslim, not Jews slaughtering Muslim, Muslims slaughtering Muslim. Or, frankly, Muslims in Africa slaughtering Christians. So why did Omar do this? For the reasons that McCall points out. The language is so ambiguous that if you dare to criticize a group like CARE and the moron that runs it, the Jew-hating anti-Semite that runs it, and the fact that care was given birth by Hamas in Philadelphia, and you dare to speak the truth about jihadists. I don't think there's any Jewish jihadists, if you will, are there, Mr. Producer? Or anything of that sort. But if you dare to speak the truth, and I don't mean about Muslims, I mean about individuals, then raise questions. Then you'll be attacked, you become part of a database, maybe they will ban you from flights, maybe they'll ban you from the military, and on and on and on. That's the concern. That's the concern. And I suppose that's why the Republicans voted against it. Because it's a trapdoor for the left, really, that will not condemn anti-Semitism, bigotry, and racism, but instead, in many respects, embraces it and promotes it like Black Lives Matter not only an America hating organization but behind the BDS movement among others I'll be right back well Mr. Producer uh, over the holidays Will the government be open or shut down? 
I mean, uh, if I make a call over to the government, let's say the always essential Department of Agriculture, and I make a call over there and I say, hey, look, uh, I know it's Christmas Eve, but uh, I have a question. Nobody will answer the phone. How about over there at the Internal Revenue Service? Will they be processing taxes? No. Well, what, what's going to happen? The government's going to be shut down during the holidays. My God. Well, you'll get a reprieve. And if Congress is out of town, it'll be far, far better before they do any damage, as far as I'm concerned. People keep saying, why does Joe Biden go to Wilmington? And I keep saying, why doesn't he stay in Wilmington? I have a different view of this. Why doesn't he stay in Wilmington, stay in the basement, where he can get the treatments he's obviously receiving, and uh, where he can eat oatmeal in peace, in his boxer shorts and his tea top? Honey! Honey! Oh, not you, you're my sister. All right, I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well... We have a judge appointed by President Trump by the name of Trevor McFadden. He's a district court judge in Washington, D.C. Now, a lot of these district court judges, I've explained this in the past, are not really the, the selection of a sitting president. A lot of times you have to make deals to get them through the Senate. So they make deals on district court judges, not on circuit court judges, unless that's changed, and certainly not on Supreme Court justices. But you have situations when you have a Republican president and you're looking at a Democrat area like the District of Columbia where they'll cut a deal. Let's say there's two trial judge seats that are open, district court judge seats that are open. And what they'll do, the Democrats on Capitol Hill, they'll say, look, we're going to block your guys if you try and put two Republicans in there. So a president typically has to say, all right, look, I'll get one and you pick one. Or maybe there's three openings in and around New York City, federal judge slots. And a president will say, I'm taking two, I'll give you one. I've seen that happen. It had to happen with Reagan. It's happened with everybody. But we drew the line at the appellate courts and certainly at the Supreme Court, and I certainly hope Republican presidents have continued to do that. So even though Trevor McFadden was appointed by, nominated by, and then confirmed by the Senate, by, uh, by President Trump, it doesn't mean he's a Trump guy if you get my point. Is that pretty clear, Mr. Producer? So we have this piece in The Hill by Naomi Jagoda and Harper Nydig. Beats me. Anyway, uh, federal judge yesterday dismissed an effort from former President Trump to prevent the Treasury Department and IRS from providing House Democrats with his tax returns. Look how it's Trump. They dismissed his effort to protect his tax returns from Congress. 
Now, folks, Donald Trump is a private citizen. There is absolutely no reason for Congress to have his tax returns. None. Do you have, know of any ex-president that has been treated this way? In this latest attack? I mean, do you know any president that's been treated this way? Ex-president. They don't want to know about George H.W. Excuse me, George W. Bush's taxes. They don't want to know anything about Obama and the hundreds of millions that he's pulled in. Why not? Now, I'm telling you right now, when the Republicans, if the Republicans take the House, and I want to talk about that in a minute, if the Republicans take the House, they damn well better get on their bikes here. And they should target Obama or Clinton and somebody and demand their taxes. And if the judges think it's no big deal that that Congress has a legitimate effort in trying to make tax policy based on what public officials are doing, then they should subpoena these this judge's taxes and Supreme Court justices' taxes. Why suggest the president or a former president in this case? There's no legislative purpose here. But if there is, and if that's the holding, if that's the adjudication, then fine. Then start subpoenaing tax returns from judges and justices from former Democrat presidents, that'll put an end to this nice and fast. they got to learn how to fight fire with fire. They're such wusses. May I say wusses, Mr. Producer? I think I will. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. And this McFadden writes in a 45-page opinion, a long line of Supreme Court cases requires great deference to facially valid congressional inquiries. This is not a facially valid congressional inquiry. By using that language and embracing that position, he comes up with his result. Even the special solicitude accorded former presidents does not alter the outcome. The court will therefore dismiss the case. But he was nice enough to stay his decision for 14 days for an appeal. For an appeal. And uh, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal, another hack for Pelosi, he's requested Trump's tax returns from the IRS. He praised the ruling. Now, this ruling should be used to go after Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Now, why? Well, let me remind you about Speaker Pelosi. Eva Stretch Pelosi. Let me remind you about Pelosi, if I can find my damn uh, list of audio, Mr. Producer. But what's the one before? She was asked today, right? She was asked today if members should be prohibited from trading stocks. Go ahead. Insider just completed a five-month investigation finding that 49 members of Congress and 182 senior congressional staffers have violated the Stock Act, um, the Insider Trading Law. I'm wondering if you have any reaction to that. And secondly, should members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual So members of Congress are violating their own rule in the way, in the amount in which they trade stock, buy and sell. Because obviously they're all insiders, right? And here's her answer. Go ahead. No, I don't know to the second one. Um, any, uh, we have a responsibility to report in the stock, uh, on the stock, but I don't, I'm not familiar with that five-month review, but if uh, people aren't reporting, they should be. 
Because this is a free market and people, we have a free market economy. They should be able wow, to participate. Wow, it's a free market economy. That's why, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. Meanwhile, how soon we forget? It was 2012, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? How soon we forget this with 60 Minutes. Go. And former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her husband have participated in at least eight IPOs. One of those came in 2008 from Visa, just as a troublesome piece of legislation that would have hurt credit card companies began making its way through the House. Undisturbed by a potential conflict of interest, the Pelosi's purchased 5,000 shares of Visa at the initial price of $44. Two days later, it was trading at 64 the credit card legislation never made it to the floor of the House. Congresswoman Pelosi also declined our request for an interview, but agreed to call on us if we attended her news conference. Madam Leader, um, I wanted to ask you why you and your husband back in March of 2008 um, accepted and participated in a very large IPO deal from Visa. At a time there was major uh, legislation affecting their credit card companies making its way through the um, through the house and well, did you consider that to be a conflict of interest I, I don't know what your point is of your question is there some point that you want to make with that well I, I guess what I'm asking is do you think it's all right for uh, a speaker uh, to accept uh, a very preferential are you a crook are you doing insider trading you and that big stupid husband of yours who's holed up in San Francisco doing God knows what are you using your position to enrich yourself that's the question, you idiot. Go ahead. Well, we did. You participated in the IPO. Well, I have made And at the time, you were Speaker of the House. You don't that. think it was a conflict of interest or had the appearance no, of a it, conflict not, of interest? It, it only has the appearance if you decide that you're going to have a, a, a elaborate on a false premise. But it, it, it's not true, and that's that. I don't understand we, what yeah. part's not true. Yes, sir. Um, that, that, that I would you. act upon an investment. Yes, Congresswoman Pelosi pointed out that the tough credit card legislation eventually passed, but it was two years later and was initiated in the Senate. I will hold my record in terms of fighting the credit card companies as a speaker. He didn't ask about your wonderful record in terms of fighting the credit card companies. He asked about a conflict of interest. And your response was, I don't understand what you're talking about. And yet you do. Go ahead of Congress uh, up against anyone's. Mm -hmm. Well, then let's do it. Can we see your tax returns? Can we see your tax returns? I know Liz Cheney's very concerned. Very concerned. And so is the Adam Kingsinger. I'm sure they're very, very concerned. Can we see your tax returns? We just had a federal judge say that, of course, Congress can look at tax returns. It's a... It's a uh, on, on its face, it's a legitimate request by Congress. I'd never heard of a Congress requesting a former president's tax returns, but here we have a federal judge who's saying that, well, what's the big deal? It's routine. Moron. You know, just because they wear black robes doesn't mean they're so smart. Doesn't mean they're so smart. Why are they wearing black robes anyway? Why? Why are they wearing black robes? It's tradition. I mean, are they wearing pants under the rope? Do we even know, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
So Pelosi, of course, no, 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 this is a free market. Isn't that funny? When it comes to her own cringeworthy dealings, it's a free market. But when it comes to you, you don't pay enough. We need a bigger IRS. We need more IRS auditors. Moving $600 around, yes, we need to figure out what's wrong with you. We need to keep track of everything. Keep track of what you're doing. Yeah, right. January 6th. January 6th. I think they're going to make January 6th a national holiday, Mr. Producer, to commemorate January 6th so they can keep calling it an insurrection. Jen Psaki was asked about this. And uh, by a reporter. And you see, again, you'll see how the reporter and Psaki and the Democrats work hand in glove. Cut 15, go. What is the White House planning to do, if anything, to commemorate January 6th? I feel like there's been a little push and pull internally at the White House, you know, not necessarily wanting to elevate former President Trump, but also wanting to respond to some of the, the threats. So how are you all approaching that? I don't have anything to report to you at this point in time about our plans. I expect we will have more uh, as we get closer to the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, the president to the president, January 6th was uh, one of the darkest days in our democracy. Uh, it was a day that our, our Actually, capital- one of the darkest days in our democracy was when Joe Biden entered the Oval Office, quite frankly. Just saying. Go ahead. Since Capitol was under attack, and I think there's no question you'll see us commemorate that day. Hmm. How many people were killed that day? I mean, literally killed, not had heart attacks or strokes or whatever. One. And it was an unjustified killing. It was an unjustified shooting. And this individual got away with it, and now he's praised, he's righteous, he was on TV, and all the rest. I don't know of anybody, any host at Fox, any conservative on radio, who celebrated what took place on January 6th. Who celebrated what took place on January 6th? In fact, as far as I know, we all condemned it. I certainly did, and strongly, as we condemned what took place in cities across America. Not involving politicians, but involving regular, hardworking Americans who were brutalized, whose businesses were burned down, and on and on and on and on. But that consistency does not exist when it comes to the Democrats that protect their base. Their base doing these sorts of things. And the FBI has said it's unloaded more resource in this investigation on January 6th than on any other matter, which is shocking to me. Shocking to me. People committed crimes, they should be punished. But people who didn't commit crimes, I mean, jaywalking, trespassing, marching, misdemeanors and so forth, those are ridiculous for people to be in the, uh, in the D.C. jail for it. So it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's outrageous. And the treatment that many of them are uh, suffering under is Philip Bump would get off his fat ass and check it out. He's a reporter for the Washington Post, don't you know? But he has no interest in actually learning the facts. Just shoots his wad from behind a desk while he's eating a tuna fish sandwich. Or five or six. So we're going to commemorate January 6th. Why don't we commemorate when the Capitol was blown up? One of the rooms in the Capitol was blown up by Barack Obama's buddy. Or why don't we commemorate what took place when the... uh, 
when the when the Puerto Rican terrorists shot actually members of Congress from the gallery. Why don't why don't we why don't we commemorate that? Why don't we commemorate when Franklin Roosevelt rounded up 110,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent? Why don't we commemorate that? There's a lot to commemorate, but this was no insurrection. It was an, it was an outrage, but it was no insurrection. Everybody knows it was not an insurrection. And we'll never get to the bottom, apparently, of what Nancy Pelosi knew hours before, days before, and why she failed to protect that building as the leader of Congress, as the number three in line to the presidency and the number one powerhouse in Congress, even more than Mumbles over there on the Senate side. Why she didn't muscle up police? Because I'll tell you why she didn't do it. We already know why in some, in some respects. She didn't want the look of the military around the building. She didn't want the look of the police around the building. Why? Because her kook, Marxist, disgusting base hates the military and hates cops. That's why. And what would the media say? I mean, after all, it was Donald Trump who was abusing power, right? Using the, the long arm of, the, of law enforcement and contemplating using the military to protect the White House and Lafayette Park, and he came under attack. We couldn't have Nancy Pelosi using the military and more police force to protect the Capitol building. No, 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 no. Isn't that a dereliction of duty, Liz Cheney? Getting dim, more dim-witted by the hour. Oh, yes, she is. Yes, I, I think it is. Insurrection doesn't even meet the definition of an insurrection. The criminal definition of an insurrection. Remember the, uh, their proposed impeachment article, the incitement of an insurrection? Remember that? The clowns don't even know what they're talking about. Period. Because it wasn't an insurrection. That's why. It didn't meet the definition of an insurrection. That's why. But it doesn't matter. The press is on the case. Why wasn't it an insurrection in 2016 when they tried to remove Trump through a coup, through a criminal investigation? When they used the FISA court. The FISA court. The Patriot Act against a sitting president at his campaign. Why wasn't that an insurrection? Why wasn't it an insurrection when the the nominee of the opposing party, the Democrat, funneled money into a law firm that funneled it into another place, that funneled it to a, a retired British spy that put out a lie about the President of the United States through a Russian, and then launched a criminal investigation against that President. Why isn't that an insurrection? Why isn't that an insurrection? Why aren't the riots that took place in our cities, in effect, the Democrat Party militia, which the Democrats would not condemn? Maybe they had a sentence here and there, belatedly. Why wasn't that an insurrection? Why isn't the war on the independence of the court an insurrection? Why isn't the war on separation of powers an insurrection? Why isn't the attack on our founding documents an insurrection? Or as Schumer would say, why isn't it an erection? I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. 
Mr. Producer, I do not have the call screen up. Uh, I think it's about time that I actually speak to people. And so, do we have any irregular Americans, first off? Just regular Americans? Okay, give me one, please. Todd, Waterloo, Iowa. KXEL, go right ahead. Thank you, Mark. First time, long time. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I really enjoyed uh, hearing the uh, Senate candidate, uh, uh, Mr. Mandel from Ohio. and very uh, good. Dovetails in into uh, my, my topic here. Um, you know, we were talking about how they changed Jim Jordan's uh, statements, his text, uh, created them out of thin air. Uh, I'm remembering when Nancy Pelosi pulled the unprecedented move of denying the Republicans the ability to seat Jim Jordan on the very committee that wound up falsifying his statements. That's right. This was something that was in the works for a long time. This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment oopsie thing. They had to keep him off of there in order for them to present the, this report to MSNBC and whoever else to say, look at all these terrible... And they presented it to the whole country. They did it at the committee. They did, they did it in the committee, and they had to keep him off of there. They had to get Liz Cheney in there. They had to get, And uh, Mr. Medved called them squishy rhinos. I think he was being very polite. Uh, Mandel, Mr. Mandel. Mr. Mr. Mandel, excuse me. We have uniparty frauds that are not standing up for Republicans, for constitutional Republicans like Jim Jordan, and I think uh, that's this should be a wake-up call to the rest of the country that we need to All get right, my friend. Todd, very good call. We appreciate it. You see, Chuck Todd, Todd is a first name normally. And... Any parent who loves their child will never call their son Chuck Todd because that means get rid of my kid. I can't stand him. Right, Mr. Producer? Chuck him. Chuck Todd. Now, he could be called Todd Chuck. As bizarre as that is, it'd be a little bit better, but now it's Chuck Todd. And I'm all for that chucking Todd. Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go right ahead, my friend. When you see Liz Cheney sitting on the panel next to her is Congressman Raskin. Congressman Raskin's father was a founder of the KGB Front Group Institute for Policy Studies. Is that right? Yes. And one of the uh, senior fellows of the Institute for Policy Studies... Let's slow down. Let's slow down. A little bit more detail, because this is a radical, hard-left organization, the Institute for Policy Studies, and you're making the assertion... That Jamie Raskin, a Congress nutjob from Maryland, that his father was one of the founders of this organization that had ties to the communists. Is that what you're saying? Right. Ties to the KGB. They work directly with the New York Times, Washington Post. They shape policies, opinion, everything in America. It's sort of like the go-between between various communist groups, communist countries, including Soviets, and how they sort of, it's a nexus between foreign and uh, American enemies, the nexus between them, the government, and the media. Very powerful group. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in the past, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Glenn Beck talked about the Institute for Policy Studies. But look, it gets better. A senior fellow of the Institute for Policy Studies is Frances Fox Pivens. Mm-hmm. She worked with Joseph Boudigag. Boudigag, Joseph Boudigag was the founder of the International Gramsci Society. His son is Pete Boudigag. Mm. You've got two, three generations of Marxist revolutionaries here throughout our media and government, 
and most of it is is out in the open and it's extremely dangerous so you could have somebody connected to to america's enemies on the panel but you can't have a loyal american like jim jordan on the mm. january 6th commission this is this is incredible you know it's my God, and as this is going on, our enemies, Russia and China, oh, are yeah. building weapons. They're working all over the world, and there's a small group of So Marcus Raskin, let's back up a little bit. Marcus Raskin is Raskin's father? Right. There's no doubt about that. And Marcus and he, Raskin uh, is a founder. Was, hold on now, hold on now. He was the director of, the, uh, of IPS the Institute for Policy Studies, correct? Right, yes. He was the co-founder of the Institute for Policy Studies, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a hardcore radical operation. Yeah, go ahead. Very powerful. And, and when now he years- sits on the impeachment committee, and uh, let's see here, the Heritage Foundation... Here's what they had to say about this. Back in uh, April 1977, as a matter of fact, that is an avowedly radical organization formed in 1963 by Richard Barnett and Marcus Raskin, both of whom had backgrounds of government employment. Barnett had worked for the U.S. Arms Control Disarmament Agency, while Raskin had worked for several members of Congress and the National Security Council. Um... Let's continue here. The Institute exists to influence the formation of policy, operates to this end as a tax-exempt group. All right, that's all well and good. Uh, let's continue the look here. Um, the basic aims, uh, two essential things. It's reason for being. It indicates uh, hope to have an impact on government policy. Okay, that's repetitious. And uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to read this while I'm on the air. Um, anyway, go ahead. And they also teach staffers for the Congress and the Senate. And years ago, some anti-Castro Cubans... Wait a minute, killed- can I just say one more thing? Arthur Waskow was also deeply associated, the most prominent of the IPS fellows. His credentials are as an extreme radical activist, beyond Cavell, Associated with such militantly radical movements as Students for a Democratic Society, the most pro-Hanoi and disruptive segments of the communist-dominated peace movement during the Vietnam War, he stated in an article in 1968, I have a gut preference for disorder, and this preference has characterized his entire career as a radical scholar and activist. Um, So you're right about this organization, that it is enormously radical, and that Raskin's father was associated with it. And in fact, his father did have, if not direct ties, indirect ties with the Soviet Union, is your point. Right. And it's very powerful. They teach staffers for the Congress and Senate. And when some anti-Castro Cubans killed an enemy agent in Washington, when the FBI went to the home of, of the guy that was killed, they were meeting with Ted Kennedy's people. So these people, there's congressional staffers who meet here, there's congressmen and senators who rely on this group for research. 
Imagine a KGB front group doing research for our government, and that stuff gets implemented through the arms and control. You know, they push the Soviet All right, I want to give a little bit more information, not to be rude, but we're running out of time. Raskin co-authored a paper for Representative Kastenmeier, who was a lunatic out of, uh, I think, Madison, for unilateral disarmament by the United States. He served as group secretary for a publishing project known as the Liberal Papers, called for the recognition of UN membership for Communist China, East Germany, North Korea, North Vietnam, unilateral scrapping of, by the United States of nuclear testing, the dismantling of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the abandonment of Berlin, allowing the Soviet Union to plug in the American DEW early warning defense system, the nat- neutralization of Central Europe in accordance with the uh, Rapisicki Plan, a scheme advanced by the Communist government of Poland. It goes on and on. In 1968, he was chairman of the Committee for the Formation of a New Party, which formed the Radical Socialist-Oriented New Party, more recently styled the People's Party. They called for the dismantling of an obsolete, dangerous military establishment. Uh, this is his father, you say. One time associated with the Radical Education products, a Project of Students for a Democratic Society. Uh, he was a member of the so-called Committee to Defend the Conspiracy set up to aid the defendants in the celebrated case resulting from the violent disruptions perpetrated by the anti-war movement. Um, let's see here. While in Paris, uh, it goes on and on and on. Um, the FBI, Mark, the FBI yeah. used to monitor the group. And then the FBI was ordered to destroy, destroy all their records and file on the Institute for Policy Studies. Now, you mentioned Students of Democratic Society. One of the leaders of that was Tom Hayden, who represented oh, yes. the Viet Cong uh, Communist government. I met Tom Hayden, and my face to his face, I told him, you should be shot. That was one of my proudest moments, <laughs> oh, getting geez. in his face, getting him nervous. Mm-hmm. Enemy agents all over the place, Mark. Uh, let's see. Just bear with me. I want to uh, clarify or underscore some of your points here. Jamie Raskin is an American lawyer, politician, represents 8th Congressional District in Maryland since 2017. Montgomery County, which is an affluent suburb. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, extends through Frederick County to the Pennsylvania border. Um, let's see. Just bear with me. His uh, parents, you're right, Marcus Raskin. Marcus and Raskin. His father. His father was Booty Marcus Gag's Raskin. Father. Yep. And Pete, Pete Gegg's father was the founder and leader of the International Gramsci Society, international, worldwide. The Gramsci strategy is penetrate all religion and culture prior to the revolution, as opposed to revolution and then re-educating the population. The Gramsci strategies know you re-educate the population prior to the revolution. Now, that was originally set up to do in Italy, because Italy had a Catholic church that would prevent revolution. So they said we have to get all the religion and culture and build a counter-hegemony. We have the counter-hegemony now. Where the, we During the general election, his first, Raskin was endorsed by Bernie Sanders' affiliated political organization network, Our Revolution, and the community organizing effort, People's Action. And he prevailed in the general election, uh, as, we, as we now know. So he is an absolute, absolute nut job. He was involved in 
Trump's impeachment. You point out he's now on this January 6th committee. And Liz Cheney sits right near him on this committee. What a useful idiot she is and has become. Jimmy, I want to thank you. Very elucidating. I appreciate it, my friend. Keep in touch. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We're going to have a fantastic Sunday show for you. I'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow because I will not be here Friday. And then I won't be back till January 3rd. Do you realize my wife and I haven't been away together for a week's time ever, Mr. Producer? Ever! As we like to say, oi, gewalt. And um, that's going to change. So I will not be here Friday. Who's going to be here, Rich? Richie V! Mr. Call Screener, good man. He will be here Friday, holding down the ship, as they say. I don't even know what that means, holding down the ship. Why would you hold down a ship? We want to hold down the fort, right? What does that mean? Well, I can assume I know what it means, but it's, it's kind of weird. But anyway, Richie V will be here. He's really great. And we'll have a whole slew of hosts throughout the uh, holiday. Right, Mr. Producer? Ben Ferguson, who's a wonderful guy. Rich Zioli, wonderful guy. Larry O'Connor, wonderful guy. Brian Mudd, wonderful guy. And the best of, a couple of best ofs, with me, wonderful guy. You know, one day we ought to all get together, the wonderful guys and me. We could have a good time. We could play poker or something like that. No, not strip poker, just poker. But it could be a lot of fun. So anyway, um, I think that's important. The last story I want to end with. Report. U.S. tells Israel new tanker jets key to Iran strike not coming anytime soon. You see, the, uh, the jets that Israel have, they're altered for their own terrain, for their own needs. You know, they don't have the, the big, big central part of Israel and so forth. If they are attacked, they are hit immediately. That's how tiny the country is. It's seven miles wide at the center. And so in order to attack Iran, they need a certain amount of fuel. The Biden administration is saying, Israel, we're not giving you those tankers. Just like Obama, we have the Biden administration filled with anti-Semites. That's right, I said it and I mean it. They hate us, and they hate that country too.